0: star log magazine takes you on incredible science fiction trips into the world of star trek into space video games and film, into the star Wars galaxy into the future for previews of new movies and tv programs star log magazine shows you special effects secrets blueprints and robots spaceships and aliens interviews with writers movie makers heroes and villains Starlog is the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Buy Starlog at any newsstand or subscribe now and save money for six fantastic issues. Mail fourteen ninety eight to Starlog Box 4948 Atlanta Georgia three hundred three fifty nine. That's Starlog Box forty nine six forty eight Atlanta Georgia three hundred three fifty nine. Send your order this week and we'll also include a free science fiction surprise gift. Enter the fantastic world of Starlog. A magazine of the
1: future. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to Geek Fest France. My name is Carlos Perón, and joining me today, I have James here. Say hi, James. Hello, hello. Today, we are going to be tackling a subject that is a little unusual, if you will, because these days, most people don't rely on this sort of thing when it comes to genre material. But we are going to look at the old Starlock magazine. Yes, magazine, I said, not website, not, you know, alternative uh, iPad apps. This is actually a magazine that some of us used to go to quite a lot when we were young to find out news about comics, movies, television, you name it, as opposed to now where I would say the majority of the information comes through some sort of computer-related source or television even, as opposed to... Having a podcast now, which is what we are doing, you know, in order to disseminate certain information. Back then, we used to go to this magazine independently. Now, again, you're talking about people that were into this sort of thing in the first place. And because there was no 24 hour a day television, you know, sources, whether it be cable, even back then, which was iffy depending on where you lived, or even just being able to get something like that, you would have to go seek it out yourself. And one of these, Magazines. There were a few, but as far as I'm concerned, the, one of the most popular ones was Starlog magazine. Now, James, tell me a little bit about how you first, you know, even even heard of this magazine and how you know you got into it.
2: Well, as a youth, I was very much into TV, movies, entertainment of that sort, music. Uh-huh. What would be now like either genre stuff is what we call it, or nerd stuff, depending on your point of view. Now, Star Trek was a big deal for me. I watched Star Trek on the Saturday night reruns in syndication on Channel 11 because I was living in the New York area and that was who showed it. Well, probably my day consisted of cartoons in the morning, Creature Feature, which was kind of like old uh, Hammer movies and things like that in the midday. Let me not forget, in the 70s, Doctor Who came in probably late morning. Then later in the afternoon would have been some kind of weird movie or, you know... Usually it's some kind of sci-fi movie or creature movie. Around 5 o'clock, I think, Space 1999 might have come on or Mission Impossible. And I'm pretty sure it was around 6 o'clock, Star Trek. And if it wasn't 6, it was 7. I'd have to look back. But, you know, my day really consisted of that. And then in the 80s, it became Doctor Who again, and the local PBS station showed it at night. And so I was pretty much into that all the time. And I would recognize, obviously, some of this stuff when you would go out into the bookstores. There were some Star Trek books, but I was a younger kid, so I wasn't buying the novels. I probably was around seven or eight, so I'd buy some of the books and some of the smaller things, but I don't think I was buying the novels yet, which started to come out in the 70s. But lo and behold, there was this magazine. So you see the word star, and you're already thinking, well, maybe this is Star Trek. And when there's a picture of your characters in on it, sure enough, you take a look at it. Now, obviously, by the late 70s, Star Wars started coming around. So, you know, as we always talk about, Star Wars changed a lot of things for most of us of a certain age group. But this Starlog gave us a way to find news. You just wanted to be a sponge and absorb everything you could get about these shows. Now, meanwhile, Star Trek's off the air already. As far as anybody's concerned, it's a dead show. And I don't know this, really. I was also into The Monkees and some other shows, which, to me, it was brand new. I had The Monkees records. I'm watching The Monkees. But they were already done by about five, six years. And same thing with Star Trek. So when I see this magazine, and then I started to pick up some things on TV, they started to have Star Trek conventions. And it was huge news when they had a Star Trek convention in New York, and it was sold out. It was, like, unbelievable. The stars came. And the fans just went berserk. And they had props and speeches and just like everything you expect at a convention now. But that was the birth of it. And it made real news. It made TV news. And there was even a show called Wonderama, which had like a weird mix of people. The Jackson 5, some Elton John showed up, I'm pretty sure. Well, I remember... Star Trek actors showed up, and I specifically remember a DeForest Kelly episode, and, you know, he's showing up as regular DeForest Kelly, but they're asking about Star Trek. It was just unbelievable to live in that era, I guess, if you were a fan, because... It was dead, but it wasn't. It was really just starting the whole adventure. And the magazine just happened to show up, I think, at a supermarket or a bookstore or something that I went to. And I picked up issue three as my first one because on the cover, there's a cartoon-looking version of the Star Trek characters. And it's just wild. And it talked about the convention and things like that. And, you know, I was just thrilled by reading it. You know, the magazine wasn't monthly at the time. You didn't subscribe to it and it'd come to your house. You'd have to kind of go looking for
1: it. Right. They mentioned uh, in one of these articles that it was a quarterly. It started out as a quarterly.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't know this at the time because you can't really look that stuff up. You just go to the magazine store and you look for it. Sometimes there was Mad Magazine, you know, comic books. You'd find different things. And this one I happened to pick up and my, I asked my mother, can I have it? Yeah, okay. You know, it probably was a couple bucks at the time. And I don't remember seeing the next issue, which was number four, which I probably would have Purchased because I was also a six million dollar man fan and that's what was on that cover six million dollar man bionic woman and a couple issues later I probably passed and they were good issues they had good information but they had generic covers right some space you know general space scene or rocket ship or something but sure enough like I said with anything Star Wars there was a Star Wars cover in the summer of 77. And I can still tell you, I looked for anything that was Star Wars. I had iron-on shirts. I had comic books. I had magazines. I remember, I think I've mentioned this before, I Rona Barrett, who used to be a uh, big movie gossip columnist, movie reviewer kind of person. I guess the closest thing would be, nowadays, would be like a Barbara Walters. But she was like the Barbara Walters for entertainment and movies. And there was a cover. It was Rona Barrett magazine. It had... Luke Han and Leia on the cover, and their real names, you know, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill. I'm like, yeah, I got to have this. So I would carry that around and read it, you know, stem to stern. And that's how I got into Starlog. After that, I started looking more. A couple issues later, I would recognize Logan's Run, the TV show, which I've recently rewatched, and it's terrible. But uh, at the time, you know, sci fi. that You take what you can take. You take what you can get. And looking at some of my back issues, I've missed a few. And then I picked up one that was more like 78, and it had Star Wars on the cover again, and it had a behind-the-scenes. Now, this was the only place we could find things that had behind the scenes information every now and then they would put out those i told you those star wars monthly magazines that i have yeah and yeah. you could find things in that we've talked about them but like that was a star wars fan type magazine at the time it was pre-fan club but that was as close as you were gonna get but this was like a national magazine this Starlog, and it was talking about the artists and the makeup people and you really got to learn how a movie might be made rather than just seeing. And for me, that was the thrill of my life because after seeing Star Wars, it felt like that's what I wanted to do. And from probably issue 16 forward, I didn't look back for many years. And that was like the heart of the Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, the the Empire Strikes Back news was trickling in, and anything you could get was in Starlock. There was no other places. If they were in production, sometimes they would talk to, say... Mark Hamill, or George Lucas on like the Today Show, which was very primitive compared to the Today Show now. And they would have like a clip, maybe a very small 20, 30 second clip or some production art. And that's how we found out about new movies and new projects. Mostly the movie makers themselves or the artists would talk to these people in the magazine because nobody else was interested really. It's like, oh, you're making a science fiction movie. That was kind of like... You know the dregs. Nobody was excited about science fiction until after Star Wars. So these guys were became rock stars overnight. The model makers, the uh, matte painters, the, the costume designers, and Starlog was the natural place for them to be featured. And that's how I pretty much stuck with it because I was always getting a combination of behind the scenes news. Doctor Who, I like I said, Doctor Who was a big show of mine right from the Tom Baker era and the only place you would know anything about Doctor Who in America besides watching it was Starlog magazine and I remember watching Doctor Who at first I don't believe I knew there were three other doctors before Tom Baker the one with the scarf and I'm like whoa it's like a whole other world opened up it's kind of like when you listen to music for the first time and maybe you pick up accidentally a Paul McCartney and Wings album and you find out he had a whole nother band before that <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite a time. I don't think people remember. There's a few people like us who do, but most people now it's so spoon fed. Every day you wake up in the morning and click on your websites, and there's news about something. You can find out how many they made of certain thing, a toy, how much money the movie's making. Back then, you were lucky to find out who the background stars were because you didn't have you didn't own it. You couldn't have a DVD or, or a CD at the time, and this was our Bible for fandom.
1: Well, for me, it was a little. Different and similar, I jumped on the magazine way later than you did because I basically wasn't here around that time. When I got here, which was around 1980, you're talking about Empire Strikes Back is rolling around, and sometime, I believe around 81, they put out issue number 50, which was the cover had Boba Fett, and it said something like... You know, Boba Fett unmasked or something like that. So you, and I it was, was like, an
2: unbelievable oh, cover. It was a really nice picture because everybody oh, very loved nice. Boba Fett.
1: Yeah. Very nice. Very nice cover. And I was like, yeah, I want to take a look at what the guy who plays Boba Fett looks like because I was thinking at the time, Oh, they're going to show you the character of Boba Fett. In other words, they're going to show you. Boba Fett, but no, obviously they're showing you the actor who plays Boba Fett, which was Jeremy Bullock at the time. And I believe they probably had an interview about him and so forth. And that's kind of how it hooked me. And it's funny in a way because it's like, you know, we've seen so many magazines and we've seen so many magazines covers and a lot of times you're like, who cares what a cover looks like? It's just a stupid cover of another person or another model. You know, these days you have so many millions of covers floating around the world, but no, that's exactly how they hooked me. They hooked me with a picture and a line that said Boba Fett unmasked, and that's what got me into it, and like, you know, enough to actually pick up one magazine out of a rack of probably a 100 magazines to take a quick look at it. And it's funny, the name of the magazine itself was a little unusual because without it, Being exactly a Star Trek reference, it throws enough words to make you think of Star Trek because obviously Star, you know, you grab the Star Trek and the Star Wars there with the Star and Log is kind of like Captain's Log. So I guess they kind of figured out a way of naming the magazine something that all the Star Trek and even Star Wars geeks would gravitate automatically to at least have a look at, you know, before really, you know, going too crazy over it.
2: Well, that's how it started. You are the perfect model of what what they were looking for. It started to be a Star Trek magazine, to talk about the conventions. And there was always rumors about new Star Trek coming out again, either as a movie or a TV show, Mm -hmm. basically a second TV show. And when Star Wars came out, the Star Trek producers and the studio said, look, we've got this. We've got to make a movie ourselves. And you know we were there first. We'll make it bigger. But they were going to just put out this basically one magazine. And I'm sure...
1: Right. They wanted to just do like an episode guide magazine.
2: Yeah. They wound up getting the support. The original guys who put it together were involved in magazines already, and they were fans of Star Trek. And they said, well, let's put this together. But their publisher said, hey, wait a minute. If you make a couple of other science fiction film or TV references, you'll appeal to a few more folks. We don't have to pay anybody in Paramount because this is now not a Star Trek magazine. It's a science fiction magazine, and we're just promoting news and things like that so they weren't obliged to anybody and so it grew from there and then like i said you mentioned earlier the uh, popularity built up so going from a uh, quarterly or bi monthly or whatever it was to a monthly in the late 70s it changed everything and I, again i think this was the bible for most of us there were other magazines that were entertainment related you could sometimes find variety if you live closer to new york city you could find billboard magazine things like that and you would get more general entertainment news but this was specifically sci-fi star wars star trek you know and at the time i guess space 1999 the bionic shows it really still resonates with me and, and when i think about well when did I find out about that, or where did I read that? And the first thing I tell you is, oh yeah, Starlog Magazine, or if we're doing a show. Yeah. Back in Starlog Magazine in you know, 1979, it talked about blah, 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 and that never really came, but we still have proof that they were thinking about it.
1: Now, I remember around that time, you know, Starlog was one of many magazines that were floating around back then. Granted, within this subgenre that we're talking about...
2: Yeah, by the time you
1: picked up... Yeah, there was also another one called Fantastic Films. There was a uh, effects that happens to still be around fangoria was also kind of floating around and i was
2: always creeped out by fangoria i I
1: never wanted to open it because i was grossed out yeah
2: yeah, I, I didn't like those kind of movies. Every now and then, they'd have a picture of a creature, maybe a Star Wars creature or like alien or something like that. But I don't believe I ever purchased one issue of Fangoria.
1: No, no, no. And, and I remember to me, it was almost like when you saw it on the rack, it was almost like porn. You were afraid to touch it. It's like, don't touch <laughs> well, it, it was, don't open it, because I don't know what's going to happen.
2: <laughs> well, I got to be honest with you. When I started to go to bookstores in a mall, and that was probably the middle 70s by where I lived, It was on the shelf right below the porn. Like the porn was on the top rack. And sometimes it was in, sometimes it was in plastic. Sometimes it wasn't. But it's like, you don't want to get caught grabbing that, especially by the lady in the counter. And I'm, I'm a young kid. I'm under 10 at that point, maybe almost 10. But the science fiction stuff and there were some music magazines. Obviously, Cream was a music magazine. And then they have things like Marvel, I think put out or was tied into marvel at some point dynamite magazine and every now and then they would have a cover that was a star wars or uh some type of like the Muppets or something like that.
1: Well, ironically, uh, the magazine that we just talked about, Fangoria, was also published by the same group that used to publish Starlog. Uh, But there was also, I remember there was another one called, I think, Cinefantastique or something like that, which were these other film magazines that also never got, as far as I'm concerned, the popularity or the traction that Starlog got.
2: Well, it was my impression that Starlog was encompassing a little bit about all of those horror movie stars science fiction movies other kinds of genre tv and entertainment fangoria seemed to be more of the creature stuff and makeup and masks and then the cinema fantastique or whatever it was called that was kind of like now we're getting to hardcore special effects only type of stuff kind of like cinefics now or the cinematography uh, magazines and stuff of now And they were like a specialty kind of thing. But I never really went that direction. I guess it was enough because I was buying comic books. Getting Starlog was another, you know, you had to put your money, spend your money wisely. Plus, I still had to have money for toys. I guess I didn't buy a lot. I bought every now and then they put out a specialty one, like the guns of, uh, science fiction guns or some blueprint magazine. uh,
1: uh, Right, right. They used to have like poster magazines. They used to have anniversary issues and stuff like that where they would reprint older articles and put some new ones, like, you know, anniversary stuff. But one of the things that I remember most about the magazine was not so much. Yes, you did have your articles that were very, Generic, not generic, but standard, you know, interview a director, interview a producer, an actor, but the advertisement on the magazine that they had was also really cool because instead of, you know, advertising McDonald's or car, you know, Ford or GM, it was all geeky stuff. Now, granted, a lot of it was... Themselves, they would also put out a lot of merchandise under the Starlog banner, yeah. And they would sell a lot of things. They would sell certain special effects magazines and merchandise. Like I remember, I used to see the Battlestar Galactica jackets that used to be advertised. Oh, patches, I it was killing guns. me. I wanted
2: that. I wanted that one so bad. I wanted the Luke Skywalker, the khaki one from Empire Strikes the, Back, the best one. Wanted, right. and they were so expensive. And I, my parents were like, "What are you going to do with that? Where are you going to wear that?" And so I never did get them.
1: And the biggest thing, as far as I'm concerned, was the fact that they would advertise conventions. And that's how I got hooked on the convention scene was through all of a sudden these displays they would have on the magazines. You know, I remember the advertisement for the Star Wars 10th Anniversary Convention back in 1987, which I attended in California. You were
2: lucky to go there. You were lucky to find that.
1: I was lucky to find it through Starlog Magazine. Now, granted, they also sponsored the convention. They were the ones... You know, putting up the money and gathering the guests to do it. So, you know, the guy who ran the actual magazine, Kerry O'Quinn, he was actually the guy who was hosting the Star Wars convention in California. So he was like there in his glory. That was probably the peak of his magazine. You're talking about the mid 80s, Star Wars 10th anniversary. The magazine is sponsoring the first ever official convention for star wars and you have roddenberry showing up lucas showing up you know all the big head honchos of the time you know to celebrate this that was unbelievable i remember it and it was again through the magazine and then you know like you mentioned before all of these manhattan-based conventions at the penta hotel the roosevelt hotel you know star trek people At the time, you know, television in the mid 80s, you're talking about V, you're talking about War of the Worlds, all these weird shows from, you know, from mid 80s. And the ton of Doctor Who people that I had no clue who they were, but every now and then they would pop up on Starlog magazine. You'd be like, yeah, I'm like, what is this about? What the hell is this whole Doctor Who thing about? And not just Doctor Who, but there were a lot of British shows they would cover because they try to blanket the sci-fi realm as much as they could.
2: I would say I probably picked up a lot, like I said, the sponge effect. I picked up a lot more things than most of the other general fans who were just watching movies and TV. But I'm looking back on it. There are so many things I kind of just grazed over and didn't study. And even to this day, I guess it depends on what your focus is. And I was always more of a Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, James Bond kind of fan. They started to dabble into that. When Raiders came out, because it was a Star Wars related production, they kind of then talked about some other types of things, genre things, which James Bond, while not a sci-fi mutt, but because of the Moonraker effect – then became part of their news gathering. You know, they would follow James Bond movies. And then some of these actors would wind up in other movies. And so say when Harrison Ford was in, you know, Witness or something like that, or one of the war movies he was in, has nothing to do with sci-fi, but it's Harrison Ford. So we have to follow an update on him. So it kind of branched out a little bit, still focusing on sci-fi TV and movies and and novels and things. But you got a little bit of other news too. So it wound up being a pretty well-balanced magazine.
1: Well, for me, I also remember that I subscribed to it right away. Instead of having to chase it around different candy stores and bookstores, for me, it was easier just to subscribe. And then it was the type of thing that you kind of forgot about. In other words, you pay your whatever money per year for your subscription and it would just come in and come in. And yeah, and same, just as you, I wouldn't read it, you know, first page to last page. I would kind of pick at it here and there. And as television got more, informative as far as, you know, genre material uh, yeah. got. And as the 90s rolled around, and now you're dealing like in the mid-90s, the internet and the beginning of all these websites, you know, it became a little less relevant. You know, yeah. the magazines they kept coming, they kept coming, but I just wasn't a lot of information, I would find it out before the magazine would show up.
2: Well, Entertainment Tonight came about around 1981. That started to put news on, so you would watch that, or there'd be a commercial that says, you know, new new news on this movie or that movie. Uh, they were they started to trickle in other shows that had this stuff, and then we started to get VCRs, so we were able to record things on specials. Or HBO would have a behind the scenes show, for instance. Or uh... I specifically remember when Star Trek: The Search for Spock, Star Trek Three, was being produced. They had interviews with some of the cast on the set. From Entertainment Tonight or something. That was like a huge deal because you were seeing like the Enterprise Bridge but without all its lights on. Like, you know, it's like, oh my God, look at that. That's so fantastic. I wish I were there working on it. And, you know, to this day, now we have worked on productions and things like that. So it's not as big as that, but we know what it's like to make movies and television, you know, so it's not as uh, mysterious anymore. But what you were saying into the 90s, I was pretty much out of Starlog. It kind of became, I guess less relevant to me. I was reading it from beginning to end and knowing everything about what was in it in the late 70s and early 80s. But probably by the mid 80s, I guess I just had so many things going on as I was getting older. I wasn't sticking with that. And I did stick with comic books and Star Wars and Star Trek in general. If I was buying it, I probably stopped as it was going over the hundred mark and maybe only picking up Some issues here and there. Uh, I think there was less Star Wars news and I was starting to feel like they're just talking about stuff and it wasn't like gremlins or you know goonies or things like that and I just wasn't that interested in those type of things so I I lost my interest and the cover story like what you said earlier you gravitated towards a certain cover. I probably bought a cover of of a movie or some characters that I liked and every now and then they would put out I think a kind of like a collage issue if they had 12 issues a year, maybe like three of them were a collage of a bunch of different things, and those kind of turned me off. I would be less likely to grab one of those yeah, and more likely to grab one if it had a Star Wars or Superman or, you know, 2010 or, you know, something cooler, something more my speed, and rather than, you know, Little Shop of Horrors or, you know, yeah, Howard the yeah. Duck. I kind of lost interest, and I don't have that many issues past the middle to late 80s.
1: Wow. Well, no. Well, I kept all of my issues. I still have them in boxes, and I, yeah, I've, me too. you know, some. Too. And sometimes I like if my son has some kind of school project and he wants to do some kind of sci-fi thing. Sometimes I'll dig into some old issues and let him let him cut them up a little bit here or there. I don't oh, care. The horror. <laughs> but, Mine
2: are in plastic bags. I think they uh, have backing boards. The, most Lord. of them have backing boards. If they don't all, they're held in boxes. Those special boxes, just like all my comic books. They're heat and cold resistant they 're double wrapped, and you know it 's like it 's it's, it's a vault i can 't even oh. read most of them anymore because they 're so sealed up,
1: <laughs> well, like I said, I kept going with the subscription just because it was a subscription. If I had to physically go to the store every month, I probably would have quit the magazine way before, but because it was a mail in thing, it kept going till around. I would say around two thousand and one two thousand and two, maybe somewhere around that time is when I just stopped resubscribing. And like I said before, I was getting news way faster than the magazines were coming. It became irrelevant, basically. There was no way around it. It was an irrelevant means of getting information.
2: And they didn't really adapt. I remember you turning me on to certain websites. You definitely turned me on to Dark Horizons. It's an Australian site. I think you turned me on to Ain't It Cool. If not, I kind of stumbled upon it around the same time you did. And those... We still kind of check regularly, plus a bunch of other ones. But Starlaw never went into the website. And I think if they did become a website and kind of jumped on that
1: bandwagon. What happened is they jumped on it too late and they jumped on it because their magazine, their subscription was dwindling to nothing. The magazine published all the way up to 2009. And around that time, they switched gears and they wanted to then go all internet. And that I don't think lasted too long because after a little bit, I think they just folded after that and that was the end of it.
2: People like us were already older so we had no connection to it anymore and new people had no idea that this was so important. It's not like kind of Playboy has found a way or in Planet Penthouse and those they've kind of stayed out there and their name is better known. But Starlog you know, Playboy and Penthouse, you hear that? Yo, that's like, you know, some, you know, nude ladies and stories and nice articles. But Starlog didn't mean anything to the younger people because it kind of, like you said, became irrelevant. So, and to us, we found out other outlets.
1: Right, right. And unfortunately, you know, not only that, but like people these days are not going to know anything about that. And to us, is different because, you know, that's kind of like people older than us talking to, to us about, like famous monsters in film land or
2: yeah or or, or national geographic even or time magazine right. to Th- those
1: yeah older kind of magazines that were very important to them that you can't really make a connection these days anymore like the pulp comics and stuff like that
2: yeah time magazine picks a man of the year now and nobody cares
1: right and that's what it was to us it was a very important means of Pictures, information, uh like I said, being able to purchase things through their classified section where you can hook up with companies that sold movie materials and props and supplies and this and that and the other, and it was very accessible at the time. And uh, unfortunately, it's all gone now. But I mean, obviously, it's not like we're starving for information now. We have probably a 100 times the amount of information we used to have back then. I have too much
2: information, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, no kidding. But back then, it was kind of neat that it would all come in one bundled package. (laughs) You didn't have to go searching out for it too much because it would come to you in a very small package.
2: (laughs) I really think fondly of this magazine. It's an important part of my formative years. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot more than most people at that same time by reading it. And uh, unless you were in the industry and working on the films that they were talking about, you didn't know as much stuff as Starlog gave you. And uh, like everything else, it just blew up and then eventually became, you know, forgotten about. So it's too bad. I didn't last as long as you did with it, but I did keep all my issues. I had the ones that I have, I still have protected, and I'm glad I have them because it's probably going to wind up in the garbage someday after I'm dead, but it did, to me, I'm still glad I have them and I can go back and look at them and remember, hey, this is where I learned that this is my first time I saw production art for The Empire Strikes Back or Star Trek The Motion Picture or something and the covers a lot of those covers are still really hot to look at their production art or their stills from behind the scenes and that you know we can remember what we were doing at the time
1: yeah I will always associate the magazine with conventions to me going to conventions and Starlog magazine are like hand in hand it's a combo deal well I'd like to thank James for joining us today and going over this trip down memory lane with, you know, some of our early genre sources uh, when we were teenagers and even preteens, probably. And on behalf of everybody here, I would like to thank you guys for listening. And we will see you here next time on GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. up